Hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Here Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer. I'm a nurse practitioner and the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we are very excited to talk with Dr. Peter Bell, the vice provost and dean of medical education at Baptist Health Science University. Dr. Bell, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Jake. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Doing well today. Thank you. Great. So, Peter, for our audience, do you mind just giving us a little bit of your background? Um, tell us how long you've been with Baptist and what were you doing before? So I'm a Hamilton College grad, which thanks to uh, the Broadway uh, musical, now people know who Alexander Hamilton is, and there's actually a college named after him. Uh, went to University of New England for medical school, lots of lobster and clams. Uh, completed uh, two residencies, one in family medicine in Philadelphia. And back in those days, you had to do a traditional internship. And I did that in Sandusky, Ohio, home of uh, Cedar Point roller coasters. Uh, I wasn't quite satisfied with just family medicine. So uh, I went on and did an emergency medicine residency in Dayton, Ohio, uh, and then went to work uh, in Columbus, Ohio, as a emergency medicine department director. Um, and uh, several jobs later, uh, finished a deanship at Liberty University, and Baptist kept calling and saying, we want to do a proposed med school, and all of a sudden, here I am in Memphis. So I arrived in August of uh, 2022. Well, you know, we are very lucky to have you, and thanks again for coming on the program to kind of announce to to all of our listeners about the new medical school. Um, so tell us, tell us about this uh, proposed um, osteopathic medical school. Um, what is it? Where's it going to be? What sort of uh, vision do you have for it? So as some of our listeners uh, probably know, Baptist system is a very large system, 22 hospitals, over 190 clinics, uh, we have 10 residency programs up and running. We have the Baptist Clinical Research Institute, and there are over 5,400 physicians in the system. That just makes it easy when you've got a SACS accredited university as part of that system to expand healthcare programs. Uh, in the last decade, uh, Baptist leadership uh, looked at the needs for the Mid-South region, the footprint that that Baptist Healthcare uh, occupies and said, you know, uh, it would make sense if we worked on the physician pipeline and expanded that. Uh, they decided to do an osteopathic med school because 56% of osteopathic medical graduates go into primary care specialties of family medicine, general internal medicine, pediatrics, and those are huge need areas in, in the Mid-South. So our objective is to produce more primary care physicians to complement what our neighbors uh, do across the street at University of Tennessee and to reseed our graduates into our programs and eventually back into the Mid-South communities that we currently serve. This is all very exciting. Um, I, I will back up. So tell me a little bit what would you like for everyone to understand about a doctor of osteopathic medicine degree? So what does it train the individual to do? 
So osteopathic medicine has been around for more than 100 years. Uh, from a historical perspective, uh, the MD degree, medical doctor, is an American invention. Uh, when you look at other countries in the world, they give whatever degree and whatever language that country allows. Uh, but it's something that was coined here in the United States. At the time osteopathic medicine came about, we were um, we had a variety of philosophies, the Hahnemann's homeopaths, the naturopaths, uh, bone crunchers from England, um, and, and the allopaths, which were more oriented towards pharmaceutical or natural plant remedy. So we had quite, quite a, a, a menagerie of, of different philosophies. We also had the surgeons were separate. Remember the barber poles? They used to pull teeth, cut your hair, and, and do surgery. So out of that environment, osteopathic came, uh, osteopathic medicine came out as a, a little bit of a misnomer, but uh, the philosophy is body, mind, spirit, seek prevention of disease, seek to keep patients well, be patient-centered, uh, be very holistic, comprehensive in your approach. Now, now that isn't to say that DOs, doctors of osteopathic medicine, don't use medicine, surgery, radiation, chemicals, drugs. Yes, we do. That's not to say we're not trained to diagnose and treat disease. Yes, we do. But the real emphasis is on wellness, restoring health and maintaining it, preventing disease. And, and so it takes a different philosophical approach. In addition to all the things that I think most people would consider modern Western medicine, we also do biomechanical structural medicine. Uh, we know that the body is integrated. It isn't just one organ system. It's all parts working together. We know that the vascular system and the lymphatic system supply oxygenated blood out, bring chemicals and deoxygenated blood back. The lymphatic system goes through a process to help the immune system make antibodies or deliver a complement to tissue that's uh, challenged with potential infection. So it's more than just one system and the musculoskeletal uh, neurological system also is part of that regulatory mechanism. So we look at structural problems, structural imbalance, restriction of fluids, um, trigger points, uh, things that we call uh, muscular, skeletal, vascular, uh, neurodysfunction, as well as heart, lungs, uh, intestines, kidneys, etc. So very comprehensive, very integrated, very patient focused. Now, I'm glad you asked that question, Amanda, um, you know, because there is a lot of confusion, especially outside of the medical community about the difference in DO versus MD. But can you just talk a little bit more about um you know, DOs, like you said, you were board certified in, uh, I guess, emergency and medicine, family medicine. So that board certification process is the same for MD and DO. You both do internships and residencies, uh, et cetera. Can you just, you know, clarify, I guess, any differences in training um, historically versus now? Yeah. So um, in this country, uh, you graduate from a osteopathic med school or an allopathic med school, allopathic being MD granting. Uh, you do a uh, first year of your residency, traditionally we call internship. Uh, the shortest residency is three years in length. That's family medicine, general internal medicine, pediatrics. Surgical specialties and other residencies tend to be longer. Um, 
when you complete your residency training, that is after you've got your MD or DO degree, you do your residency, you complete your training, you sit for board certification exams, you submit your credentials to the state medical licensing board to get your medical license, you submit paperwork to insurers to get on the insurance panels to get paid, and if you're planning on practicing uh, at a hospital or using hospital facilities, you have to apply for privileges uh, through the hospital. So it's, it's the same for MDs as DOs uh, in terms of the process. Everybody goes four-year degree, gets a bachelor's. Some people go on and get master's, but it's four years of med school followed by residency, followed by an extensive credentialing process, uh, and then you practice medicine and surgery in whatever community you're in. So you talked about that process. Let's shift gears a little bit. I'm sure it's an, an extensive process to start a medical school. So can you walk us through that? Sure, Amanda. Um, well, first of all, starting a medical school is a big deal. If it was easy, everybody would do it. In the U.S. today, we have approximately, and again, I say approximately, 155 uh, MD granting schools and approximately, if you count uh, all the campuses, about 55 DO schools. Um, currently, when you look at U.S. med students, MD and DO uh, students, 27% uh, are going to osteopathic medical schools, which is in sharp contrast to when I went to school back in the 80s. Um, I think the students today really uh, see the value in prevention and wellness and like that holistic approach. So to start the school, you have to have lots of money, as in tens of millions of dollars for escrow, as well as for building, as well as carrying a budget for seven, eight years once the school's up and running. It is not cheap. Um, the process, whether you're applying for an MD or a DO uh, granting school, you submit an application, you pay 100,000 bucks <laughs> just to put the application in, and then you go about finding a dean. Uh, for our process, the dean has to be under contract in place for at least 12 months. During that time, the dean typically works on the next application, which is called the candidate application. The dean hires uh, individuals per the standard requirements, and as a small team, you continue to work on that candidate application. The application then goes before the accrediting board, which in this case is uh, the Commission on Osteopathic College Accreditation, or COCA, like Coca-Cola. Um, they make a decision whether you've met the basic standards, and again, the candidate application really is a sampling of all uh, the important things that you're going to need resource-wise to start a med school. If they agree that you have mustered adequate dollars, people, uh, opportunities, clinical, research, facilities, people, then they give you candidate status. The next application is a true deep, deep, deep dive. It's called pre-accreditation. It is about three times as large as the candidate status application. Now, we printed out the candidate status application and it in a binder was the size of a Gutenberg Bible. Remember those 
Gutenberg Bibles in the museum. It was huge. So we're about three times that big. Um, detailed policies, uh, curriculum map, uh, hiring plans, financial performance, clinical agreements that you can demonstrate when they do the site visit. You, you say it, but you have to demonstrate it when they actually come to see you. So you put the pre-accreditation application together, you give them tens of thousands of dollars more money, they review it, and providing they think that you've met all the standards, then they assign a site visit. The site visit usually is one or two days where a team comes and they interview the people you've hired, they look at your documents to make sure they really exist, they're looking for relationships such as with Baptist Clinical Research Institute, uh, such as Baptist uh, Memorial Medical Education residency programs. They're likely to visit at least one of the hospitals. They're likely to talk to physicians who, until we get our third year class, which wouldn't be till August of 2026, have said, yes, I know it's way in advance, but I want to take med students. So um, I'm, I'm in. Um, once you go through that extensive process that you can demonstrate that everything you said in your application truly exists in the uh, near future, then they bring it back to the full COCA and make a decision. Once you have pre-accreditation, you can start recruiting, soliciting, interviewing, and accepting med students for your first class. And for us, we hope to have pre-accreditation spring of 2023 uh, and start the interview process that summer of 2023 and seek the first class by 2024. So that was quite an extensive <laughs> process. And I've been, you know, I've been trying to follow along since we started having these conversations a couple of years ago. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's very daunting, like you said, you have to prepare all of this infrastructure on the front end before you even know if there's any students that will want to come. You know, how, how does the organization go about, you know, I guess, planning and preparing um, without knowing what the demand will be from the student uptake? How, how do you prepare from that standpoint? Well, it, for most universities, it's a bit of a cultural shock. Um, just uh, acclimating to the fact that you're going to have a graduate program can sometimes be challenging when you're used to undergrad programs that are not quite as rigorous. Um, that is not to say they're, they're not rigorous or not important, but med school pretty much is lockstep Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. for the first two years. The students show up as soon as the door opens and they'll stay until you close the building and some will bring sleeping bags and you have to have security shoo them out. <laughs> yeah. um, when they get to the third and fourth year, um, we adhere to no more than 80 hours uh, a week of clinical time, uh, just like we do with our residency programs. But again, it's a bit of a cultural shock because the universities are used to hiring professors that work on workload, teach so many courses, uh, maybe on nine or 12 month contracts. The med school is different. We, we are a group of 
dedicated physicians and PhDs and EDDs uh, and staff that are really there 365. There isn't a day that someone isn't on call administratively because the, the students are always studying in the first two years. And once you get to the third and fourth year, they're always on clinical. They're somewhere doing something. So there's never uh, a really a downtime. Um, there is a bit of an ebb and flow. And it's, it's markedly different than a university that says we're taking these days off or we're having summer break. Or, uh, as I mentioned, teaching load is, is a frequent conversation. We just don't have that. We hire faculty. Uh, and I might add the five categories we have to report on. We have to report percent of faculty time teaching, percent doing service like on committees or uh, community service. Scholarly and, and research activity has to be reported. Clinical activity, if they happen to be do, doing clinical. And then, of course, some people have administrative duties uh, and it just never stops. So acclimation is a big deal for a new med school getting started. Now, you said you start with a small team, um, but that vision for, you know, 2024, what does the faculty group look like? What is that number? So for the candidate application, I had to hire two associate deans. Um, the thinking being that they would serve uh, the dean in, in that senior leadership position. Um, one had to be a DO. Um, and I was fortunate enough to to hire a, a colleague who had previously served as a dean. So I've got I've got my replacement in case I get hit by a bus. Um, <laughs> I had to hire a consultant, which actually we did early on. Uh, we had an external consultant to do a feasibility study and we had an internal consultant to assist me in organizing uh, the materials for the application. She subsequently agreed that she would join us full time. So uh, she's an assistant dean. Um, I have a um, administrative director from my office to help with research and policy writing and uh, trying to keep me straight um, because the days do get pretty busy. Um, and then because of an osteopathic school, there is a requirement that you have at least one individual who is board certified in osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine. Uh, it's a specialty within osteopathic medicine. It focuses strictly on uh, those principles and practices unique to osteopathic medicine uh, with heavy emphasis on the biomechanicals. Um, so I have a chairman of a department Currently, I'm looking uh, to hire additional in individuals to supplement that person because that part of the curriculum is important. How can you have an osteopathic med school if you don't have DOs who have some specialization within that discipline? Um, moving forward, we have just posted jobs for ed academic office coordinators, uh, for assistant associate and full professor for uh, biomedical sciences, an assistant associate and full professor for clinical sciences. Now, biomedical is pretty much your PhDs, EDDs, uh, whereas 
clinical sciences are your DOs, MDs, or international med grads, physicians. Um, as far as a, a cohort of how big the faculty is going to be, um, we put together a standard template of what most new osteopathic med schools look like. So I requested funding for 10 physicians and 13 PhDs to get started. We have a whole bunch of staff, directors for admissions, finance, um, IT, uh, other services that are the back office that support uh, the physicians and the PhDs who are going to do the teaching. Um, the whole complement together uh, will be in the realm of probably um, 60 to 80 people to get started. Um, we also will supplement that with physicians uh, who will probably work part-time at the med school, not full-time appointment, but I uh, have a desire like uh, Dr. Lancaster here might say, hey, I'd love to do your uh, cardiovascular module for eight weeks and, and teach part of the course with the, the faculty. So, so those are the type of opportunities that are coming. Well, if you ever need anybody to teach the clinical informatics subject line, I, I'm happy <laughs> to, to do that. Well, I know we're um, running close on, on the, the time we allotted for this. Um, you know, one question I do have is you mentioned 2024 is when you're going to expect to see your first crop of med students, assuming everything goes to plan with accreditation, which we all hope it does. Um, and then 2026, I guess, is when we'd start seeing some of those medical students um, rotating through hospitals. And which areas would that be? Do you have you already picked out the hospitals or is it uh, is that still to be determined? So our intention is to use uh, all the Baptist hospitals. And when I say all, um, we're probably going to put it, put them in three different regions. Uh, we had the discussion last week. Memphis obviously is a big, big region. We put a lot of students in the greater Memphis area. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, another big group. And then we're looking at Oxford, New Albany, uh, Columbus. I mean, that part of northern Mississippi, how would we do that it, obviously, it couldn't be as many students. Um, and when I say put them there, for the third year, they do required rotations, family medicine, pediatrics, general internal medicine, general surgery, women's health, et cetera, as requirements. Fourth year, uh, we are requiring um, a couple rotations, but for the most part, it's electives or selectives, things we'd like to see them do. Um, by training them, within the Baptist system, within our footprint, and then recruiting them, hopefully, to our residency programs. We hope to reseed them as attending physicians in those geographic regions so that they can have practices that refer into the hospital, use hospital resources, use community clinics that Baptist operates currently. So that, that's really the big plan here is, is providing needs for the community access. And to do it is to train them, train them, train them, train them in all the locales that we currently serve our patients. Very nice. And how many students do you expect the, the first couple of years? So we're applying for a class of 150. It goes back to what I said before. It's pretty much following the standard formula for a new medical school in terms of numbers. Um, we're allowed 8% overage, so potentially we could have 162 
to get started, COCA says you can take half a class. The second year you can take three quarters of a class. And by the third year, you can take a full class, which quite frankly, didn't used to be the requirement, but I think it's prudent. Uh, you're, you're starting a new medical school with faculty perhaps that have never worked together. So yeah. a smaller cohort makes more sense. Now, this, is, this is all very nice um, and I'm very excited about it. And I know everybody in the system is, is very excited to start seeing um, some of these new aspiring physician faces. Um, any last words you want to leave with the medical staff? Yes. Um, we currently have medical students from other med schools in our system. It's our intent to expand the pipeline, not to displace other med students. So in order to do that, we need people to say, yes, I will take med students, whether it's preferably our med students, but any med students. Otherwise, we defeat the purpose of this, this whole mission here. We're trying to, trying to get more physicians in training in the Baptist system and make the pipeline bigger. So if you're listening to the podcast and we're asking you, will you take med students in the immediate future? please say yes, because we really need the capacity. We need you to help us do this. And who can they contact if they are willing to take medical students? So the Baptist Health Science University does have a, a website page for the College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, we also set up an email, um, <laughs> B-U-C-O-M-Dean, at baptistu.edu, so bucom dean at baptistu.edu. Um, I'm already getting show notes. Yeah, no <laughs> I'm already getting emails into that. It's been set up since last week. Um, but the point was, it's easier to remember. That's right. Baptist University College of Osteopathic Medicine Dean bucom dean at baptistu.edu. Uh, it's just a, it's an easy point of entry for most people. Well, Peter, thanks again. Um, very excited for this opportunity for us. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. I will not forget BUCOM theme.